morning, I want to speak to you from John chapter 8, verses 31 to 38 on this topic. Christianity, truth, and worldview. Christianity, truth, and worldview. Let me begin by saying this. We are in the fight of our lives. But the fight that we're engaged in isn't a fight that is fought with weapons made of steel and metal gunpowder and explosives. No, we're in the fight of our lives and the fight is being fought on the battleground of our minds with words, thoughts, and reason. Meditation and prayer are our artillery. Reading and thinking are our ground war. Speaking and preaching is our air war. And as lazy as we may sometimes be about this fight, that is just how quickly we will be overrun by the soldiers of falsehood. We must win the battle of our minds if we would make it out of this world or out of this fight alive. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, we're in the fight of our lives and our culture in our school curriculum, on our college campuses, we are in the fight of our lives. I want to share with you two simple points this morning from John chapter 8, the first of which is this, freedom. Freedom. If you look at it with your eyes again, we're going to read the first few verses. Jesus says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. We'll stop there. A few things I want you to note under our heading of freedom this morning, the first of which is this. I want you to note the condition if... You look back at the text there in verse 30, uh, 20, uh, 31, excuse me. If you look back at verse 31, you'll see the condition if. One of the biggest words in the English language consists of only two letters. It's the word if. We are here looking at this conditional clause and a conditional formula, an if-then formula. And a conditional clause serves the purpose of placing a condition on whatever follows. That will only happen if this happens first. So here, if you look at it with your eyes, it says, If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Second, I want you to note that disciples abide in Jesus' word. First of all, we see the condition. But second of all, we see that disciples abide in Jesus' word. Now, this word abide in the Greek, mentoi, is to exist, to remain in a place, or to stay. One commentator says that it suggests to, quote, adhere to Jesus' teaching, to direct their lives by it. You see, if you are a disciple, a student a follower or a learner who belongs to Jesus, it's because you abide or stay or remain in his word. Let me say it to you another way. 
If you say you're a disciple of Jesus, but you don't abide in his word, you're making a false statement. Because here, Jesus says a conditional clause. And the conditional clause goes like this. If you abide in my word, meaning there are many who don't, then you are my disciple. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciple. Third, I want you to note that knowing the truth is a result of abiding in Jesus' word and being a true disciple. Look at the text again. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if, conditional clause, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And here's the part we're looking at now. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Church, there's an order to the progression. If God's word, then disciples. If disciples then you'll know the truth. If you know the truth, then you will be set free. You see, we so often want to be set free without the conditions. But there isn't such a thing as a condition-free freedom. All freedoms have conditions. (laughs) The truth is an interesting word, interesting idea. We've heard a lot about it in culture like songs, books, talks, and movies. But we're talking about something concrete here in John chapter 8. We're talking about the truth of the gospel. Not some personal interpretation, not some shelf in Barnes & Noble or some book by Wayne Dyer. We're talking about the truth of the gospel, which is whoever believes will be saved because Jesus is God's Son, the Lamb who was slain for the world. That's the basic element of the gospel. Sure, there's more. But that's the foundation. So we get to this last part. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the final point that I want us to look at here. Under freedom, the truth will set you free. Free. You see, freedom isn't a matter of physical detainment. Freedom isn't a matter of physical detainment. Freedom or slavery can also be a mental status. You can have free minds or enslaved minds. And sometimes it's difficult for us to know when we're which. Let me tell you why. Because the only prison from which there is no escape is a prison in which you do not know you are imprisoned. Let me say that again. The only prison from which there is no escape is a prison in which you do not know you are imprisoned. And we have so many today that exist In that imprisonment, they come and go as they please. They make decisions according to their preference, all the while thinking that that ability constitutes freedom. And Jesus says, you're a slave. Your mind is bound to your own preferences. This is why when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says these beautiful words, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
2 Corinthians 3.17. And he says it to the Galatians in Galatians 5.1. He says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. James says to the, to the Christians in Jerusalem in James chapter 2, verse 12, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Did you see that conditional freedom? Law of liberty. So now let's answer the question, free from what? We'll get into it in a little more detail because that's going to lead us to our second point here. And that is not freedom, but slavery. Look again with your eyes as I read, beginning in verse 21, so we get the big picture. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, conditional clause, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they said, well, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone. How many? Everyone who commits sin will be a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. We're not going to touch that verse until next week. There's plenty there for us to look at. For this morning's time, let's just focus on verse 33 and following. First, I want you to note how those who are enslaved so often talk about their freedom. I want you to note how those who are enslaved so often talk about their freedom. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the response of the Jews to Jesus is, we've never been enslaved. What in God's name are you talking about? What's interesting here is, is we're, getting, we're getting to the specifics of what Jesus is really trying to uncover with these Jewish people, his audience. But for now, I want you to realize this. They're saying they've never been enslaved by anyone. But in reality, they've been enslaved by Egypt. They've been enslaved by Assyria. They've been enslaved by Babylon. They've been enslaved by the Medo-Persian Empire. They've been enslaved by Greece. And right now, as they're speaking to Jesus, their country's occupied by Rome. How many of us are running around saying, I'm totally free because I'm American? Well, I don't think you understand the definition of freedom as Jesus is using it. We're not talking about a constitutional freedom. We're talking about a spiritual reality. We're not talking about the ability to go to Publix when and where you, when you want or what day you want, buy whatever you like. We're not talking about that kind of freedom. We're talking about being enslaved by sin. But church, this is what happens, you see. The saying goes, we are what we eat. There's some truth to that, right? I am a giant chocolate chip cookie with icing. That's what I had last night. But it's equally true, as Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, we are what we think all day long. 
What you allow to enter your brain is what makes up your thinking in the end. And in this case, even though reality was staring these Jews in the face and history spoke against their viewpoint, they believed they had never been enslaved because their thinking wouldn't allow it. It's because they had a worldview that was contrary to reality. If you have any addicts in your family, if you've ever struggled with addiction yourself, and God be praised if you're clean now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In no instance is this as clear as you look at a meth addict, a heroin addict, an alcoholic, in the midst of their stupor saying, I've got it under control. I only use it when I really want to, and I deserve it anyway. Life's been hard on me. Maybe life has been hard. I'm not passing judgment in that, in that regard. But we see it. A worldview that even in the face of reality speaks against all that is real. And here the Jews are saying, well, we've never been slaves. Yes, you have time and time again. In James Sire's book, The Universe Next Door, he says that a worldview is something we're committed to. Positions that we hold to so deeply that we often don't even realize it. Something that guides our decision-making process. In short, it's our belief system, how we see reality. And that is a worldview. And in this case, the worldview that's held by the Jews is this. Whatever we do, whatever we do, let's just not agree with Jesus. That's their worldview. There's a Roman guard standing right there, and they've been before the Romans, the Greece, and the Persians, and the Medes, and the Babylonians, and the Assyrians, and the Egypts, and they're facing a history of enslavement. And Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll be, I'll, I'll be your freedom maker. I'll set you free. And they go, but we've never been enslaved. Whatever it takes, my worldview says, whatever it takes, just don't bow the knee to Jesus. Play the fool, you clown. Fly in the face of reason, but do not bow the knee to Jesus. The problem, of course, isn't that we as Christians have a worldview. We should. The problem is that secular worldviews have infected the church like a virus. And Christians who should be thinking Christianly about things and should have a biblical worldview have caught the cold of secular thinking. And instead, they believe Christianity while they actually think like non-Christians. They believe Jesus is God's son, but every problem they've ever faced has had a secular solution. So Francis Schaeffer once said, if there is a thesis, there is an antithesis. And if there is that which is true truth, there is that which is error. That's what he called biblical truth, true truth. And if that is the case... And I believe that is the case. 
then we can't justify living with one foot in a spiritual world and another foot in the secular world. We must decide today whom we will serve, God and true truth or the world and its truth. We have to make that decision. Jesus is saying, abide. You can't tip your hat. You can't say verbally that you hold to it while you actually don't in every decision you make. What you say contradicts what you do. But as I said, there's more to it. Jesus addresses his point in verse 34. Look at it with your eyes. He says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to what? Sin. We're not talking about a therapeutic recovery program here. That is what psychology has done with what we diagnose as sin today. If you, compulsive, if you do something compulsively, there's therapy for that. It's not sin. You just need therapy. Now, please understand me. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against therapy. I'm against you thinking therapy is your salvation. I don't care how cleaned up you get in this world. You will still go to hell if you do not know Jesus as your Savior. My wife and I, we have a counselor we see when we need to. We have counselors that we recommend to people on a regular basis. There is absolutely nothing wrong with someone seeing a counselor for spiritual, psychological, or emotional clarity. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you have been dragging an anchor through 10 years of marriage because you're deathly afraid of somebody finding out you've been to a counselor. Here's your pastor saying, and I know everything. I've been to a counselor, and my counselor's a woman. The scripture says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that when Jesus come, he would be called the wonderful counselor. I'm not trying to sound nasty. I know more scripture than you. Don't be afraid to approach someone for help when you need it. But understand what I'm saying. Say amen if you're listening. That counselor, regardless of how helpful they are, cannot save you. That therapy, regardless of how advantageous it is to your overall health, cannot save you. What we're talking about here is a condition that has damned every single man and woman and child who has ever come into this earth. And the condition is called sin. You see, even though they were enslaved physically by other nations in the past, the real problem that Jesus is addressing here in the face of their poor worldview is something more than physical. It is spiritual. Sin enslaves us all. Every single one of us. This is why when our kids grow up, we're so enamored with their beauty. And then they start being ugly and we go, what happened? Nothing happened. They're sinners. They're sinners. When my children disrespect me, I go, Father, do I speak to you like that? Do I treat you like that, Father? Of course, the answer is yes. Yes and worse, Joe. Yes and worse. Dads, 
Say amen if you're listening. Your children belong to your heavenly Father. It's not about your kingdom. It's about the heavenly Father's kingdom. Be careful that you aren't more offended by your rules being broken than God's. Love your children. Do not exasperate them, Paul says. Why is it that he says that in Ephesians 6? Why do you think he sneaks that in there? Because we have a tendency to do it, gentlemen. The sin nature is in us. When we're children to rebel, and then as we become adults, the sin nature is to squash any rebellion against us. Listen, you're just a man. I'm just a man. We joke with each other, but at the end of the day, we're all going to die, just fall, done. It's over. And it will not happen with our permission. God will take us on the day that he has authored. And we will be completely powerless against it. Our nature is corrupt. We have been compromised in our minds, in our bodies, and in our spirits. The sin nature will not let us out of here alive. Not just me, not just you, but everybody couple of verses to share with you. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says, surely there's not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. How about Romans chapter 3 verse 23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the word glory there is sort of a synonym for standard. All have sinned and fall short of God's standard. How many have fallen short? All, the word there for sin is hamartia. It's the idea of aiming at a target that even though you fire at, you fall short of. That's how Homer uses it in the Odyssey, of an arrow being fired at a target that falls short of the target. That's how the word hamartia is used. This idea of us trying to be good, but falling short of God's standard. We all have fallen short. There is not one person on the earth who does good and does not sin. Every single one of us. And when it comes to this reality, the reality of the seriousness of sin as a stepping stone to all other theological tenets, the secular world is successfully compromising us. We have a church in America that doesn't believe in sin today. We're so good, we just need encouragement. I see it. You may see it too. And I have to be honest. The reason this is happening is because so many Christians don't know the word of God. And they don't know the word of God because they don't abide. They don't sit. They don't stay. They don't remain in the word of God. And therefore, they don't have a biblical worldview. Like these Jews here. There's a sense of religiosity. But the reality of what things are is askew to them. You see, it's not enough that we identify with the truth. 
It's not enough that we sympathize with the truth. Say amen if you're listening. We must know the truth. If we know the truth, we will be set free. Not if we stand close to it or we sympathize with it or, or, or we're just familiar with it. We must know it. It's not enough that we know if something is right or wrong. We have to know why. And we have to know where that why is found in the Bible because the Bible supplies the clarity and the power and the authority of the Christian mind. So many of you fail when you bring up topics that you know are God-honoring topics in the conversation around the table with family or friends, and you lose the conversation because although you know the right answer, you don't know where the answer is found. The only authority to the Christian is the Word of God. Second, I want you to note that sons are never slaves. Sons are never slaves. Look at verses 35 to 36, if you would. It says this, the slave does not remain in the house. Interesting, remain, abide. You see, you see, the, see the verbiage there, right? The relationship there. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What a great line. If the Son sets you free, in this case, Jesus is obviously referring to himself. If I set you free, you will be free indeed. Listen, the Bible says that when a person puts their faith in Jesus, they are adopted into the family of God. Of course, Jesus is the Son of God. But whoever believes in Jesus is by faith adopted into God's family as a son or a daughter. And that's an important distinction that needs to be made. Otherwise, we turn out to be Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, which we're not. They have faulty definitions of the person of Jesus because they don't believe in the Trinity. And that's why as Mormons, we can basically become gods ourselves. We don't believe that Jesus was ever created. But he eternally existed as the Son of God. When he was incarnate in flesh on the earth, he called God my father, which was blasphemous. Jesus has always had and always will have a unique relationship to God. Our relationship is only possible because the Son of God became a man so that men might become sons of God. That's how C.S. Lewis put it. What a drastic difference. What grace God gives us that we would be called the children of God, John says in 1 John 3. What mercy, what blessing, what transforms our destiny so that we move from slaves to sons, from domestics to daughters. We aren't foreigners, but we're family. So we can pray to him, we can count on him, we can trust him, we can even know him and love him. He has become not just our God and our creator, but he has become our father. And this is all done for us by Christ. Look again at verse 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now to close, I want you to note this. You're not set free to do whatever you want. In Christianity, you don't break free from sin. 
In Christianity, you don't escape the clutches of sin. No, in Christianity, you're set free. And you're set free, Paul says, so that you won't serve sin, but that you will serve God. You and I are not set free to our own prerogative. We are set free to the will of the Father who adopts us and makes us to be a part of his family. So freedom comes with responsibility. Yet we can never fully know it and we can never fully appreciate it if we do know we abide in the word as disciples should then we will know and we will be set free. Now can close. I want to say this. We're in the fight of our lives today. But the fight that we are engaged in is not one of material artillery. It's a spiritual battle. And the sooner as adults we come to this recognition, the sooner we will help our children successfully navigate what the enemy is going to put ahead of them. The sooner we realize it for us ourselves, the sooner we will successfully navigate what the enemy puts ahead of us. But we will only be free if we know the truth, and we will only know the truth if we are disciples, and we will only be disciples if we stay in the Word of God. Today, we like to use words like freedom and truth because they're deep and meaningful. But I'm not sure that we always mean them the way Jesus meant them. Today, my hope and encouragement to you is that you'll leave here going, I know that I'm free, but I'm not living in my freedom. I'm going to get in the word the way I need to be. Or that you'll leave here saying, I don't know the Jesus that sets people free. I want to be set free indeed. I don't want to be a slave. I want to be a son. 